I'm Brent First. And I'm Rebecca Cahoe. And you're listening to Rural Roots. Your favorite show about rural issues. I hope it is. So who are we going to hear from this time? Uh, we are going to hear from Sarah Minas and Craig Powett. Sarah is a doctoral student at Grenfell Campus in Cornerbrook at Memorial University. But she lives and works in Kingston, Ontario. And I managed to catch her in Nelson, BC when we were there at the surf conference. And you know Craig. Yeah, Craig Pollitt is the executive director of Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, and, you know, you heard me stumble over it. We do generally call it MNL, which is much easier to say. Uh, so they're an organization that represents municipal governments across uh, the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, they do a whole lot of different things. Of course, there's an advocacy angle, especially when we're talking about relationships between municipal governments and the feds or the provincial government. Um, but they also do some things like liability insurance, uh, group purchasing, project management, and those sort of functions. Yeah, when I talked to Craig, he described it as board of trade or a chamber of commerce but for municipal governments. Yeah, and actually, uh, they've sort of become a really important partner in the work that we do at the Harris Center here at Memorial University in that they are sort of a condensed and, you know, resourced in um, with tons of, of communities across the province. So it's a way to um, to share information, to hear feedback, and to really get linked into the needs of what's going on across Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, that's true. And uh, they work with us on so many projects from vital signs to, you know, evaluation of our uh, applied research funds. Yeah. So this story. Yeah. What yeah. did you talk to Sarah and Craig about? Well, it's a story that starts about 10 years ago, and that was well before your time at the Harris Center. I wouldn't say well before, but it was definitely before. And, and that means um, that it was before you as well, because actually I think we started the same year. We did, just like a couple of months apart. I yeah. Think. Yeah. So, yeah, before my time as well. But I know about the story because at the time I worked at the development office when the Harris Center received this lovely donation from Royal Bank of Canada Foundation uh, to look into issues around um, drinking water in rural and remote communities. So I think we need to back it up just slightly and um, to share what is the Harris Center, what do we do and why? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think I never talked about the Harris Center in 20-something episodes we did now. So this podcast is a project of the Harris Center. This podcast is the project of the Harris Center, and we do a whole bunch of other things. Yep. So the Harris Center, and the full name is the Leslie Harris Center of Regional Policy and Development here at Memorial. And our role is to connect university to the communities um, around the province and the other way around, to connect communities to resources and expertise that exists at the university. So we do that through a whole bunch of ways. Um, one of the ways is what we call knowledge mobilization. So this is a podcast like this is part of that. Uh, but we also do a whole bunch of events such as regional workshops uh, where we bring researchers into rural and remote communities and help them figure out what kind of projects they could work on with uh, community partners. And then we do um, a whole bunch of other publications like Vital Science. And what else do we do? Uh, well, we do all of our public policy work, and that's um, finding ways to share the latest ideas, research, and thinking related to how to do things better um, provincially, nationally, internationally. And in a lot of situations, that's finding ways to, to connect that information to the people who can actually use it. Yeah. And the third bit that we do 
and it's really important for this story, is that we manage a suite of applied research funds. Mm -hmm. So these are, this is funding available to faculty, staff, and students at Memorial University to engage in research projects in rural and remote. Well, really, across Newfoundland and Labrador. And one important thing to note there, too, is that unlike many research funds, um, in all cases at the Harris Center, you need to have a community partner on board. So this project, it was the first study of its kind that really looked at a comprehensive model of how we deal with drinking water in small and remote rural communities. And I think it's really important to note just how much of this province that it would include. Over 50% of the municipalities in this province have less than 500 people. Yeah, and these guys, they actually looked at the communities of 1,000 or less, so they pretty much covered three quarters of the province. Wow. So uh, who were the people and players involved? So Dr. Kelly Warden uh, from Grenfell Campus at, uh, of Memorial University, she was the principal investigator on this project. And uh, we never talked to Kelly yet on the podcast. She's been very good at avoiding the microphone. She's pretty camera shy. <laughs> She's pretty camera shy. But I think we'll get her in the studio because the lessons she learned from this project are really applicable right across the board in rural, northern, remote, indigenous communities. And um, it's just one of those issues that we know continues to be a challenge in all of those kinds of places. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're going to get her in the studio to talk to us about water issues. But this time, I actually want to talk about something else. This project was unique for us and for MNL because right from the beginning, they were involved in this project. So and we're talking about the process, not about the actual results. Exactly. So we're going to look at how the way they did research changed the way the researchers engage with the communities, but also how it changed the way that the communities see the role of a researcher. Right. So how are we going to do this? I'm not sure how we're going to do this. The way I did interview with Craig is that I played bits and pieces of Sarah's interview and he kind of commented on it. And I thought maybe what we can do is I can just play that whole conversation and you and I can have a chat afterwards. Yeah, let's get them talking to each other. To each other, yeah. And uh, so the way I started this conversation, I, I asked Craig if he actually remembers what was the title of, um, of that project. I don't remember the name of the actual project. <laughs> I don't blame you because uh, <laughs> listen to this. Pouring solutions for sustainable rural drinking water systems in Newfoundland and Labrador. No, exploring solutions for sustainable rural drinking water systems. <laughs> in Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, yeah, we didn't come up with that title. That wasn't <laughs> somebody else came up with that. It's a very academic title. <laughs> it's a very there's a colon in there somewhere. It's got to be. Oh, I bet. <laughs> we we just called it the Water Project. Yeah, and we refer to it as the Big Water Project because mm. we have all the other water That's projects. That's right. right. Yeah. So I asked her, what was it like to work so closely with the communities, and how did they go about it? And uh, she said that the initial contact was establishing that community relations committee. So here's about a two-minute clip. Well, definitely our first in and our most important in was collaborating in the beginning with municipalities in Newfoundland and Labrador. 
So from the very beginning, they helped us um, conceptualize our research, conceptualize our research project, our research design, our research methods, everything. Uh, so having them on board gave us an instant access to the municipalities that we wanted to work with, um, both communities of a 1,000 or less, which was the focus of our study, as well as communities um, of greater than a 1,000, who we also wanted for comparative reasons to work with. So that was hands down the most important thing um, that the project did uh, for success, I would say. Uh, and then on top of that, um, we picked our case study communities um, in partnership with Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador, with our interdisciplinary uh, research team, as well as with our advisory committee, which was made up of industry, local, provincial, and federal government represent, uh, representatives, as well as some NGO representatives. Um, so once the case study communities were picked, then we um, worked with our case study communities. We asked them if they would like to be a case study community, and um, we got approval from the mayor t for them to be a case study community. And then we worked very closely with um, the leaders in the community. Uh, they often housed our research students, which was great. And uh, I think because of that and because of the collaborative nature of the project, we got much more more uh, than we ever would have. For example, MNL sent out our survey uh, through their listserv to the municipalities, and when we sent it out, our provincial represent representatives on our advisory committee said, we've never gotten more than a 22% response rate, good luck, essentially. And we got an almost 50% response rate which was pretty incredible and really was only due to MNL always telling their um, their members to fill out the survey. We were able to plug the survey and our research at all of their events, their symposium, their conventions, as well as, I think, probably most importantly, the regional workshops, where we got to have um, more intimate and uh, sometimes loud, but uh, um, more kind of drilled down conversations with everybody about the issues in their communities, and we were able to have a really good discussion. So, does that ring true? Yeah, I'm blushing. <laughs> That's a lot of M&L did this, M&L did this. Um, it does ring true. And one of the first things that came to my mind, you know, when I hear Sarah talk about how, uh, you know, there's, there's community representatives, counselors who put up researchers in their own homes, that sort of thing, and help take care of them. It's because, if, if, from my perspective, for the communities involved, this was not a research project, Right. They didn't know how it was funded. They didn't know much about the methodology. They don't do this sort of thing. What they knew was that a crowd of people, a lot of them young people, want to help. And that's it. That's all they need to know. That's all they wanted to know. And I find that all the time in dealing with our members, that if we bring speakers in or if we bring researchers in or if we introduce them to researchers, yeah, we'll tell them it's a research project. The main point that we tell them is there are people here who want to help us, right? And to the folks on the receiving end of that, who in those small communities under 1,000, right, there's 75% uh, of municipalities in this province have fewer than 1,000 people. So it's a big, big chunk of the province. They don't care that you're a researcher. You're just someone trying to help. And to them, it's a very personal thing because a lot of these counselors, when it comes to you know, drinking water is the, the issue they were dealing with on this project, 
these are not municipalities where uh, they've got six or seven staff who look after drinking water. They've got maybe a part-time outside worker who takes care of the drinking water. If that guy is, and in those cases it's almost always a guy, if it's a town clerk it's almost always a woman, but if that guy is sick or away or on vacation, it's a councillor who actually takes care of the drinking water system. So if the chlorine has to be tweaked or if there's a problem with the machine or whatever, the the, the councillors will get the call and somebody has to go out and work on it. So to them, this is a very personal thing. This is a pain in my neck, right? This is not what I signed up for when I ran for council. If there's a chance that you can make it so that I don't have to do that anymore, I don't have to take responsibility for that anymore, and we can do it properly, whatever I can do to help, right? When somebody like Sarah or, or Kelly Vaden, who was involved in the project as well, comes along and says, hey, how about we look at rural drinking water systems across the province? We're just falling over ourselves trying to help with that, right? Providing access to our members, that's what we can do. And we knew once we opened the door that there'd be a welcome on the other side, right? Project is over now. We have our convention coming up in a few weeks. And there will be people who will come up to me and say, I haven't seen Sarah or Kelly at this uh, conference. You know, what's on the go? Because they got used to seeing them, right? They were becoming part of our community, our little municipal sector community. Um, They were always there. They were always on the agenda, speaking, giving updates on this project. And I think people who pay attention to this sort of thing in the sector, people who are constantly looking for solutions, had come to expect to see Sarah and Kelly because they're sort of one of us now, right? That's super interesting. Because building that kind of social capital that makes research better takes forever. And to have you as an interlocutor who can bring them in quickly, that's priceless. What's the the term in chemistry for a catalyst catalyst or a chemical that speeds up a process? I think that's what we do. We have a certain amount of social capital built up with our members. They believe that we are doing good and we can expend some of that trust to say, you know what, you need to extend that trust to these people. In this case, it really worked. I mean, that team, and not just, I mean, Kelly and Sarah in particular, but that whole research team had a a view to how this should happen and the importance of getting to know the community actors and getting to know their story and, and their challenges and their concerns and that sort of thing. And I'm glad that we can play that role. If we can speed that process up, that's important for us because there's, there are problems that need to be solved, and we need the input from this research to solve those problems. Here's how Sarah felt um, as a researcher working with the community. I felt really good. Um, we always talk about in research impact factors, and that's calculated by how many people use your academic articles, which is crazy for me because uh, when I talk about impact factors and impact of our research, when I see communities actually learning something from our research, learning something about their neighbors, what their neighbors are doing, maybe that's innovative, maybe what they can be doing with their neighbors to help their, the management of their drinking water systems, I see that as an impact factor. Um, and MNL was able to bring our research to the communities, but also bring our 
the communities to our research, which has benefited both parties in infinite ways, in my opinion. Hmm. So did this project change how you engage with researchers? Yeah, I think it will. One of the clear things that came out of it was we were seeing, you know, from our sort of policy perspective, we were seeing immediate solutions coming out of the research, which is gold, right, for an advocacy organization like ours to do a project for, I mean, at that point, less than a year, and to be able to look at the, the results and say, holy, there's, there's five things we can do right now, right, without changing legislation, without changing funding models. There's stuff we can start right now. That was, that was amazing. I'd never seen that before. So we immediately started putting together uh, policy documents, position documents. And we did, we did it in two ways. We did a, sort of a layman's summary for our members that we sent out. So it was very, very simple. Uh, it didn't focus on any of the methodology, that sort of thing. So, but we had the content. We, you know, that, that was astounding to me that you know, partway through this project, we could already publish an MNL document to our members that says, if you're having issues with your drinking water, here's five things you can do right now without changing the world. But then on the other side of that, we were able to put together, I think five, five keeps coming to mind, five uh, policy statements, uh, sort of advocacy papers that we could bring to the provincial government that very clearly articulated what the issue was around, you know, uh, source management, water source management, drinking water source management, uh, around treatment, around uh, funding and financing of, that sort of thing, that we had never been able to pull together in such a coherent way before. But we had resolutions that came to our annual general meeting from the board of directors that came straight out of the research that Sarah and Kelly had done. Again, it had never happened before. So this project will absolutely change how we engage with researchers from now on. We've got two or three projects that we're, we're, are sort of spinning around us right now. And for me, being able to work closely enough with the researcher to be able to say, okay, you're halfway through now. What can we pull out? Right? Without nailing you down to a recommendation, what can we pull out? How can we start using this? Uh, that's going to be an important piece for us. It's really interesting because these were the communities they worked in were really small communities, some of the Very. smallest in the province. Yep. So one of the things that Sarah talked about was that these communities, by their nature, have very low capacity to actually engage with the researchers because they're busy doing other things. Yeah. So I'm going to play to you a clip uh, where she talks about relatively low capacity, but this huge willingness to engage because this mattered. I think having the legitimacy of uh, municipalities, Newfoundland and Labrador, saying, hey guys, especially Craig, hey guys, this is really important. This is important that you fill out the survey. It's important that you work with these people. These people are not, you know, crazy people. And of course, because Kelly Vaughan is also holds a lot of legitimacy. She's worked um, with community-based research for her entire career, which is long and illustrious. So um, I think that that also helps. But uh, yeah, the communities were always really um, supportive 
And even though sometimes they were volunteer councils or volunteer clerks even, volunteer water operators, they still would spend, you know, half a day with us in the um, uh, in their water operations and their water treatment plants and showing us around and showing us to their water source and around their uh, protected public water supply areas. So, yeah, that meant a lot and uh, obviously shows that they thought the subject matter was important. Hmm. So we landed our legitimacy to them. That's excellent. Um, and I want to say, for the record, I, I never told anybody that they weren't crazy. Um, I, th- I think I think their craziness is a part of why they're really, really good at what they do. Um, and I, I love the idea. I mentioned this earlier that we spent a bit of our social capital with our members on this project because we did. We we were very, very clear. In all our communications, um, whatever you can do to cooperate with these folks, whatever information you can provide, do it. Because we're not going to get a chance like this all the time. This is a, a major funded project looking at one of our top two policy issues. And there's an opportunity to get some actual solutions out of this. Man, that doesn't come along every day, right? But to be honest... It was the the relationship and the trust that we'd built up with the lead people on this team that gave, I'm going to say me, the comfort level to, to spend as much of that social capital as I did. If we hadn't built that relationship over previous smaller projects and uh, you know, other unrelated projects that we'd worked with Kelly on and Sarah, that whole process was important. And that took a while. Right? We didn't just run into these two folks one day and then suddenly have a big project with them the next day. Um, the, the, so that, that process is important. And one of the things I've learned from it is that process is important. Right? So a really cool topic might come up. A really cool research project might come around the bend tomorrow. And someone from the university will come to M&L and say, man, we really need you on side with this. this we think this is going to work really well. Our relationship with that researcher is something I'm going to consider. How long have we known this person? How has that relationship gone? Um, Because that, I had confidence in those two human beings, right? And that was for an NGO that doesn't have a lot of money, that, you know, you're really reaching uh, to convince your members who are the only reason you exist that this is important and they need to spend some of their scarce resources. And man, if M&L <laughs> doesn't have a lot of resources to spend, these small communities have zero resources to spend on this sort of thing. So for us to say to them, yep, take whatever time you, you can you can manage to work with these folks, we really had to know that they were going to deliver and that they were going to create that kind of relationship with our members that they had created with us. Right, that's really interesting because it worked the other way around as well. So Sarah yeah. talks about things that she learned as a researcher, and they learned as a research team from the community. I learned ways of doing community-based research, and it, I always knew that it uh, was something that was important and important to me as a researcher. But uh, it was. Uh, a big learning experience with uh, the actual ways that you do that and the importance of hitching your horse to the right cart, which was Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador. It, so 
with my research currently in Ontario, I've been working really closely with um, the conservation authorities, for example, and they've brought that sort of legitimacy. They've let me piggyback on some of their events, that kind of thing. And um, that that was a big lesson to be learned as well as just um, uh, how to, you know, f- facilitation skills, uh, um, all sorts of, I, all sorts of things. I learned how to be a researcher. <laughs> A real researcher, you know. So the other things you wanted to talk about, and I'll play the next clip as well, and we can talk about both of them together, um, is how much she felt inspired by Mm -hmm. the community leaders she encountered while working on this project. What always stood out for me was, especially working with communities, and when you have those one-on-one conversations Um, with community leaders, often volunteers in these small communities, and it's just how much they care about their communities and how much they're willing to give of themselves for their community. And for me, that is what kept me inspired and still is what keeps me inspired about rural communities is just um, the leaders in them and their commitment to where they live. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, and... and it's funny. I, I don't want to claim any kind of foresight here or anything like that, but um, every time we introduce anybody, a researcher or a consultant or it could be anybody that we're dealing with, when they come into our home for the first time, they come in with preconceived notions. You know, it's a level of government. It's an order of government. So automatically there's a sense that, okay, there's baggage attached to the word government, right? How they're going to operate, why they're there as individuals, what they're hoping to accomplish, that sort of thing. And it can be pretty jaded, right? The, the world is not a friendly place for politicians uh, right now for a lot of good reasons, but it just isn't right now. Um, so when people come into our world, I think, I've found, they come in with that same sort of expectation. We're going to go talk to community politicians, and what I know, only because I've been around for 16 years, not because I have any particular insight into them, that they don't know, is that very few of these people see themselves as politicians, right? It, it, that's not the world they, they inhabit. Um, they are individuals trying to run their community as best as they possibly can. And watching how hard they work, and how passionate they get, uh, and, and the time that they give of themselves, you know, getting calls at 2 in the morning. And I mean, I had uh, a council came into my office many, many years ago for a meeting. They were in town for meetings with the minister, and they came to my office afterwards to sort of debrief on that meeting and get some advice. And we were having a lovely chat, and at some point the deputy mayor said, uh, boys, i got to go. I, we got to get back to town by a certain time. And I said, oh, you got something on the go? And he said, yeah, I'm on call tonight. And I said, you're on call? Like, what, what do you do for a living that you'd be on call? I said, oh, no, it's not work. He said, uh, I'm on call for the backhoe tonight. And I said, the backhoe? Like the town backhoe? He said, yeah, yeah. We have an on-call system so that if a pipe breaks, if a sewer line breaks or something like that, one of us is on call to go get the backhoe and dig up the pipe so that the next day, we can get an engineering firm to come in and you know take a look at it. And I thought, oh my God! Like, if you were to say to the general public, 
what is it that counselors do? Climbing into a backhoe and digging up a sewer pipe probably isn't in the top ten things that they think people do in this business. But that's what's happening in a lot of these small communities. So you can't help but be inspired by that. I'm not at all surprised by that, by her response. I'm delighted, as a matter of fact. I'm going to do my little Mr. Burns thing here, like I planned it all or something. But uh, I'm also not surprised at her answer, because the next question I asked her was, what would you do differently? Uh-huh. And, uh, and it was interesting, because what she would do differently is essentially she would have done a lot more. This is what she said. Okay. Looking back, I would probably uh, want more case study communities. I think that those were really important to really get into the complexity of some of the situations um, and talk to people one-on-one. I think that that really helped our project. So, And there's definitely some areas of research that we know of now that maybe we should have... Um, explored a little bit more so that kind of thing yeah i mean we would have loved to do more research but time and uh and funding allows so much so we did the best we can but or best we could but yeah so that doesn't surprise you right not at all there's one of the astounding things that, i mean they did so much great work they pulled out such great material that we could use right away and you know, from the academic perspective, you know, there's still, there's articles, there's like, there's stuff coming out of that project. What was really cool was the long list of things we'd like to do if we could keep going. And at M&L, one of the things, the discussions we're having internally is what's our role? We were a partner, right? And, and I think we came in with a pretty simple expectation about what we could deliver. We could deliver access, and we could do the introduction, and we think we can do a pretty good introduction, and that all worked. That was that was cool. But now we're sort of thinking, well, is there more we can do? Is there, with our limited resources, is there a funding role we can play? Is there a leveraging role we can play? Um, we don't have a lot of money. We we don't have a research budget at MNL. But the discussion is now happening. Well, maybe we should. Maybe we should have a research budget, so that. If a project like this comes along and in a conversation with Sarah or Dr. Vaden, we're saying, you know, we really need to do more work on this source water protection thing. We need to know some more things. What can we what can we offer up right away to say, well, here's some money. Can you start on that? Or can you use that to leverage money from another agency or uh, you know, another academic source or something like that? So it really has this this whole process has caused us to rethink our role and what our role might be um, because the outcome was so dead on and ready for us to use them. And I think it speaks to another thing that she felt very strongly about. Um, I asked her about if she feels any responsibility to the communities that she worked in, Mm. and um, this is what she said. As a researcher, you're serving the academy, but you're also in what arguably maybe is more important, you're um, trying to mobilize your knowledge to the people that need it, and those are the communities that we were working with. And so for everything that uh, we found, um, all of our case study reports, we had a long case study and a short case study that was a little bit more digestible for communities to um, go through. Uh, We had lots of academic articles that came out of uh, this research, which is a whole, you know, 
point of energy <laughs> for um, an academic to do. But also, we had our technical report for our funders, the Harris Center. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, um, but, and we also did an M&L summary for their members. So we worked with M&L. Uh, Gail would find that M&L was amazing and basically went through our technical report that was given to the Harris Center and we worked together in um, making it uh, M&L friendly for <laughs> the audience that needed it. And that was a really important facet of the project. So M&L friendly means Gail, who she mentioned, Gail Woodfine is our communications person, uh, was ruthless, absolutely ruthless in language, the kind of language, uh, even down to presentations. Uh, Kelly and Sarah would send us presentations. You know, we're going to go to a regional meeting or we're going to go to your convention. Here's the presentation we want to do. And Gail would savage them, <laughs> try to bring it down to a language and a length uh, and conceptually what our members could digest because it's all good stuff. It's all really good stuff. But the communication of it to our members um, has to be in a certain way, with certain kinds of language. And that was a really interesting back and forth because for people in academia, language is everything. The specificity of language, the accurateness of, of your language, and why you're using that word instead of that word is very, very important. For us to be able to say to them, uh, God love you, but nobody in the audience is going to care about the methodology. Right? You can you can put it at the back as an appendix or something like that, but nobody is going to care about that. They're just going to want to know, what did you find out? And they were so open to that. My next question for Sarah, and actually the last question I had for her, was about negotiating and managing conflict that was ah. bound to arise working with that many different community stakeholders. Here's what she said. Engaging communities in every step of the way. So we were engaging communities with preliminary findings. We were engaging communities in the regional workshop saying, this is what you said on the survey. Are we interpreting what you're saying is right? Um, and I think that that led to kind of a consensus-based decision-making uh, about our results. And it wasn't just Kelly and I and the rest of the team deciding what these results that we were getting means. Um, it was It was really... M&L and by proxy their, their membership, um, as well as the local service districts that uh, were involved in our studies, uh, and most notably, of course, the case study communities. Um, so that was it, was, it was an iterative process. That is an interesting, that, that's an interesting point, because uh, clearly, going in, speaking to people face-to-face -face was a big part of this project. It was a big part of the buy-in that they got from the communities and the individuals involved, right? Um, but I think this, the the approach of what I keep hearing called being called ground-truthing, so you do a survey, you follow up, is this what you actually meant, that sort of thing, that was particularly important in this one because we were asking them to answer questions that sometimes they were uncomfortable answering, right? It's about, because a lot of this stuff was about their role in managing a water supply. And in many, many instances, they weren't really managing it the way legislation says they need to manage it. They were doing the best they could. They were doing what they were, what was, you know, with the resources available to them. 
but maybe not meeting the exact requirements of the legislation. And they knew that, was, that wasn't good, and they wanted to change. But to write that in a survey, to put it in on paper, right, and send it in to somebody, that's a big step, right? That's a big, big step for somebody to take, especially when you don't feel you have the authority or the capacity to do anything about that practice. So, you know, Sarah and the team going to the communities, especially the case study communities, to go through those answers and to sort of, A, give a comfort level that, no, we're not sending all this stuff to somebody who's going to come and shut you down or anything like that, but to give them a chance to explain, right? No, we don't test this at two different spots twice every day, blah, blah, blah. But here's why. Because we got a part-time guy, and this would require overtime, and overtime would end up making him the biggest element of our budget or something like that. Um, Just not feasible. Just can't be done. We'd love to find another way to do it, but we don't have one right now. These issues, can we drink the water this week? Can we not drink the water this week? What's happening with the, you know, the source uh, pond that we've got up there? These are sources of internal conflict within the community. Somebody is saying council's not doing a good enough job on this. Other people are saying, yes, they are. So whenever a researcher comes to town and wants to talk about that sort of thing, all those elements start percolating to the top. So it was really important for them to manage this in a way that a conversation could happen rather than somebody in the community who maybe didn't get on council the last time standing up saying, see, I told you, right? The crowd from St. John's are here telling us that we're not doing it right. Uh, that would have been horrendous. So to, there's such a fine line between being an engaged researcher and building trust with the community and then the flip side turning into a source of political capital for somebody. Okay. There's one more clip from Sarah. And I turned my recorder off. And she said, oh, one more thing. And I turned it back on. <laughs> and... Uh, I recorded that last bit of conversation, but I didn't label it what it is. So this is going to be a little bit of a surprise for you as much as it is for me. <laughs> Excellent. The main way that we engaged the province and provincial staff was through our advisory committee. Um, so that's another part of how we uh, came up with our findings was that we presented preliminary findings at our advisory committee meeting and then we kind of all chatted about what this meant, uh, how to frame it, how uh, to frame recommendations, those types of things. And at the end of the day, um, some provincial representatives uh, thanked us and said, um, we know all this. This is, this is nothing new to us. Uh, we can say it sometimes until we're blue in the face to politicians and they don't listen to us. But now we have something where it's all in one place and we can bring it to them and say, this came out of Memorial University. This is what municipalities across municipalities, local service districts um, across the province has told them and it's captured now and you can't deny it. <laughs> and that was something um, important that came out of the research. That's funny, because we use it that way all the time. <laughs> That's, um, and that is, you know, our capital that we brought to this was our members trust us, we can give you access. What Memorial brings to this, outside of the actual expertise of the, the folks involved, is we are apart from this, 
right? So there, there is that element of, and I don't want to use the word objective, but, you know, the, the slightly away from element of memorial as an institution. So M&L can say to the province, and we have done on multiple occasions, we didn't do this research. Someone at Memorial did this research. Um, and that's, that's an important thing that the researcher brings to the table. She's absolutely right that folks with the province um, really enjoyed, <laughs> in the same way that folks in the community really enjoyed, they enjoyed being engaged. And this doesn't seem like rocket science to me, and yet we don't do it very well collectively. But they were involved through this advisory committee right from the get-go. Now, not everything that they asked for or, or stated ended up in the final product. But they were there every step of the way. And it's not often and, and they weren't part of the funding. They weren't you know, they weren't they had no skin in the game in terms of money. We were just saying, listen, you've got a role here. You need to be here. And there was as much trust built, I think, between the research team and MNL, we benefited from this, with the provincial officials, as there was with the community uh, representatives. What's next for you with this project? <sighs> I asked We're Sarah still... the same thing, and Sarah said they still have communities coming to them yep. with little bits and pieces. Well, we actually found some funding at the end of it uh, to hire Sarah to be on the other end of a phone because we, there was so much pent-up desire uh, to talk about this that we knew we couldn't just end it and say, wow, that was cool. We got some papers out of it. We got some really good, you know, we got some resolutions. All oh, that was fantastic. But our members were looking at us saying, what, it's just over? Like, we're just cut off now, cold turkey? So we actually found some money to give Sarah a phone. And we told everybody in the province, if you've got an issue, you got a question about your small town drinking water system, call this number and Sarah can have a chat with you. And she did. We did that for like half a year or eight, mo eight months. I can't remember how long it was now. We're sort of discussing internally whether there's a funding role for us to play so that we don't necessarily have to wait until, you know, uh, another funding body says okay first. We're having an internal discussion at MNL about what our role should be in direct support to municipalities. Doing this project, we are not the same organization today as we were four years ago. So what did you think? <laughs> well, they, they covered a lot of ground. A couple things that really stood out to me. I just thought the description that Sarah had and also Craig of working with people in communities and the fact that they don't see themselves as politicians. They're people who care about where they live and want to do a good job. And also that they weren't viewing this as a research project and they weren't viewing the researchers in the way that, you know, people like us who work with researchers every day understand the concept of research. To them, it was, here's some help. And that can be really um, challenging, too, because you need to, um, people need to have a, a good, realistic sense of what researchers can offer. So I see that that can be something that can be almost, um, you got to watch out for. But then on the flip side, um, that idea of just, you know, being totally accepted and people being so open to sharing the challenges in their communities, there's just something that's so wonderful and so rural. And I think it actually led to the success of the, of the project. I really liked when 
they talked about the engagement. Um, we talk about public engagement and community engagement here at university, and it's very academic. It's like this abstract thing you're supposed to do. But when you see it done and the results that have so many different impacts that most of the time you don't actually envision, yeah, um, it, it's just really nice to... It's, re- it's all about building relationships, which is, um, you know, that's pretty simple stuff. <laughs> I know. It's simple stuff at, at the same time. It's like one of the hardest things, right? It's yeah. just, it's weird. Absolutely. And maybe many of the things that were learned from the project are, are these simple things, like uh, the underlying fact that people like being involved on issues that matter to them. You know, I thought it was really interesting and I was really pleased when they were mentioning the fact that the people working for the province, the bureaucrats, care too. These were people who wanted to know more. They're working within their own challenging structures, um, but this was a way for them to engage and to feel um, like they were part of the process and also to empower them to hopefully make some change, which I think is a big deal. And the other thing I really liked when Sarah talked about how they dealt with conflict, and I'm always a little bit concerned that when researchers become very embedded in the communities they're working in, that community might get to the point where it has a little bit too much power over the research results. And I think there has to be a really nice balance. And it seems like they found a way to kind of come to those research results through a consensus and through sort of a community check-in. Yep. This is what you told us. Are we hearing this right? I think that's a really interesting way of handling those difficult conflict situations and sort of who gets to control what the final results look like. Right. And speaking of final results, uh, so there were a, a lot of end results of the project, but when Craig was mentioning that those tangible, you know, he said five recommendations. I think of it almost as like a buzz, BuzzFeed article. What you can do now to improve your community water source. You know, like there, there were really clear, simple now recommendations offered, which um, it just turns on its head the idea of, you know, the peer-reviewed journal article in terms of um, judging whether an academic's work is, is of value. I love it. We should do that. Clickbait research findings. <laughs> we'll have to do a contest where people need to turn their research or the community project into clickbait. You know what? I'm actually going to do that. <laughs> I have some researchers I'm working with. I'm going to get them to do that. So uh, unless you've got anything more to say, I think that's the end of another episode. I think so. Actually, there's one more thing I'd like to mention. Oh. In our last episode, we introduced a new contest that we're running called On the Map. And it's uh, just a quick little thing. We want to get to hear the voices of some of our listeners. So we're inviting listeners to head to our Facebook page, send us a message, and let us know what it is that puts your community on the map. Um, We'll read them, or if you're feeling extra brave, we'd love to have you call us and leave a message. But if you want more information about that, like I said, just leave us a note on Facebook, and, uh, and we'll get back to you. Yeah. Facebook is the best way to get in touch with us. I think so. Great. So you just listened to Rural Roots. Our guests today were Sarah Minnis, a doctoral student here at Memorial University of Newfoundland, and Craig Pollitt, the CEO of Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador. We talked about how collaboration between researchers and communities changes the way that everybody thinks about research. And we recorded this episode at the CHMR studio here in St. John's. 
Rural Roots is a production of the Harris Center at Memorial University. And we do this in partnership with Canadian Rural Revitalization Foundation and Rural Policy Learning Commons International Partnership. Rural Roots is funded through a Social Science and Humanities Research Council of Canada grant. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that on Facebook or through our website at www.ruralrootspodcasts.com. That's all one word, rural, R-O-U-T-E-S, podcasts.com. If you listen to this episode on your community or campus radio station, let us know what you thought of the show. And you can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or any of your favorite podcast apps. I'm Brian Fierst. And I'm Rebecca Cahoe. And we'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. See ya. All right. (laughs) That was an easy one. That was an easy one. (laughs)